Sovereign Parser is the most accurate resume and job order intake technology in the industry. The more accurate your data, the better decisions you can make. Find out more about our suite of products today by visiting Sovereign.com. That's S-O-V-R-E-N.com. We provide technology that thinks, communicates, and collaborates like a human. Sovereign. Software so human, you'll want to take it to dinner. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the most nervous guest we've ever had episode of the uh, Chad and Cheese podcast. Welcoming special guest Tim Meehan from Poontang Solutions. I got that wrong, didn't I? Pontoon Solutions. <laughs> yeah. That's a, yeah, I think that's a rap song, isn't it? Yeah. You guys are a dangerous podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so Tim Meehan, VP Global Head Emerging Technologies at Pontoon Solutions. Thank what, you. Yeah. What does that mean? And for our listeners out there who don't know who Tim Meehan is, tell us a little bit about T- Tim Meehan and 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 what do you do there at Pontoon Solutions? Come on, guys, get it right. To know you. <laughs> so I look after our stack of emerging technologies for Pontoon worldwide. And for those who don't know, we're a, an outsourcing company that provides both full-time and contingent labor uh, recruitment outsourcing services. Um, Mm-hmm. Got 2,000 employees. We're in 110 countries. Heck of a lot of clients. And my job is to bring the stack of tools that we spend a lot of time talking about into the client solution set. So basically, uh, I don't touch our ATS or CRM uh, or even VMS. My job is to bring the tools that make the experience working with those crappy platforms much better. (laughs) And you're and you're a Pisces who enjoys walks on the beach, but we won't get into that right now. Uh, Tim, so Chad threw me this this I don't know infographic slash uh, visual visual pre- representation of a uh, of a speech you gave recently, and it's it's quite a mess. It's like a regurgitation of like um, uh, I don't know Hanna Barbera on crack, but uh, you. you Wow, even Chad laughed at that one. Uh, so you you focus a lot on generations in this in this imagery. So talk to me about that. Are the generations different? Are they the same? Does it matter? Um, is it all, all a bunch of bullshit? Like, what's your take? That, that was an amazing session. We were in the room with uh, half a dozen of our, our major banking clients from around the world. Wow, big proud yeah, half a dozen. Yeah, well. Wow, <laughs> pretty. You're pretty influential, Tim. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, yeah, the rest of them didn't come when they heard I was coming. So uh, I had a session where I talked about what might be coming in the future and how it potentially could impact our ability to succeed. And uh, I actually have four tenants of, I guess I'll, I'll call them either mega trends or disruptive trends. And certainly generational is one of them. But sure. I, like, I like to start with the first one, which is the space we talk about, which is the stack we work mm-hmm. in. And uh, the fact that uh, experience is the new driver. 
And uh, there is definitely the tool set today to bring a talent acquisition experience, be it contingent or full-time recruitment, that is very disruptive. Amazing. I think we're going to talk about that a little later. And if, if companies don't have their head on and don't realize that that this is real, they're they, they won't even make it through the first of these critical disruptive steps. And the first is the stack. So, you know, to our listeners out there, if you're not having serious discussion around uh, updating your VMS platform, integrating in chatbots, talking about programmatic advertising, looking at new career site technology, machine learning, matching, if you're kind of like, well, we'll get to that, uh, you're already late. So we've got that big factor, and there are some companies, and I'm blessed in Pontoon, to, you know, we've got a lot of high-tech clients. These are real innovative organizations that are, we're able to explore that with them. So, so who are, who? Uh, just real quick, who are the bigger a-holes, Gen Z or millennials? <laughs> well, as a father of millennials, I wouldn't say it's them, and grandfather of Zs, I don't know, guys. I, they're not. I, I'm sorry, you're not going to get me to bite on that one. It's, uh, maybe I'll say I'm the a-hole. <laughs> yeah. Xers are the a-holes. There we go. Gen X. They are uh, assholes. That's true. The X is well. They're the missed generation. So who knows? All right, onto the onto the tenants. Yeah. Sorry so about that. so the next one is generational, and and you know ad nauseum we all know Z's are the new entrant to the marketplace, and yeah, uh, and 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 what we have to understand is you know you could have a candidate that comes into the interview, 18, 19 years old, that's got three or four blogs running. Maybe they even do their own little side podcasting and some funky thing, and they have a million Twitter followers, and then they run smack dab into your crappy apply process that takes them a half an hour, ask them for stuff they don't have, and then they never hear back. And then it's on their Twitter feed and it's being retweeted. And all of a sudden, you know, there's like 15 million people you don't even know are aware of your process. And it's making it up to the C-suite. And by the way, maybe your applicant flow just crashed. So there's some scary stuff that's going to happen as this next generation of the uh, millennials. We tend, you know, some people will describe them as the dependent generation. They're not tech savvy. They're just dependent on tech. Disease, God forgive me, I call them the unable generation. They're unable to understand the tech that my generation built. Like Wi-Fi. They don't even understand how that Wi-Fi thing in the corner works. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like 1.3 billion babies have been born since FaceTime came out. So you got a you got a 1.3 billion kids that don't understand that the idea of a video discussion is normal. It's innovative. So, so it's, it's a miracle. Yeah, it's a miracle. So so you got these Z's who are used to like placing an order on a Pizza Hut and watching the wheel when will it come and and instant feedback and they've got huge followers. They're gonna come crashing in and the companies that are adapting their stacks are going to capture more of them than the companies that aren't. And I'll even say there are certain industries that are at greatest risk and it's directly correlated to the companies that have to lock down their infrastructure, which I'll talk about in a minute. So on the talent acquisition side though, they haven't given a shit about experience for 20 years. Why do they care now? And what makes you think that you can get them to adopt anything with regard to experience because they are so honed in on uh, their routine for the past 20 years, which again, sucks. You know, that's a great tee up because um, the story that I tell is not a pontoon story. There's not a lick of pontoon sales slick in there. It is all about the trends. And if I could do nothing but get us as, an, as, as a voices of the, the, of the, 
tech and some of our worthy competitors to start in discussing these things as a group, then I think ultimately the challenge is getting to the C-suite because they don't even re- recognize how at risk they are. And, and I don't think many of our HR colleagues have the tools to be able to tell the story like we can. Where's the risk though? So you're talking about the, the, the risk at the C-suite. That is the big key. What is the risk and what is the reward, which is what they're going to care about the most? Let me do the third and then we'll talk about the fourth and it all comes together. So okay. if you don't mind. Yep. Okay. So the third. Slow your roll. Slow wash. Damn it. Yeah. So so the third disruptor is is blockchain. And please don't ask me anything detailed about blockchain. I'm not an IT guy, but I can see. Yeah. Yeah. That's not me. I can see disruption coming. And what, imagine a world where in the future, you and I, we all own our background check, our drug screen, and all our employment information. And it is as we can manage it ourselves just like we do our banking account. I can't go in and change my bank balance, but I can sure go in and look at it. And there will be tech coming out that will enable us to control our data privacy and all of our information. And the providers of that certification of this service will be able to have contracts with large employers and small. And basically, if I'm an employer, I can say, oh, you're certified by ABC, blockchain company. I can hire, you can start tomorrow. So start thinking about now I've got this tech that can have a great experience. I have Z's that are going to run to that tech because it's the experience they expect. And now I've got this blockchain thing coming in that can allow instant hiring. And you're going to see the, uh, the early innovators in, in talent acquisition, both contingent and full-time, s- gravitate to these models where I can go out, I can identify, I can take you through my process in a day or two or five and onboard you. And I'm filling jobs in a day when the old guys are still thinking about 60, 70 day cycle times. <laughs> now, all those three things combined, right? And you're going to have like that classic innovation roadmap where some companies at the front end seeing this amazing experience where I'm bringing in people quickly and I'm onboarding them quickly. And by the way, they may even be making decisions at the back end about the employment model, not the front. I had you know, the total talent concept arise. Maybe I'm going to be a contractor. Maybe I'm a statement of work provider. Maybe I'm a full-time employee. That actually could maybe be made at the end by the blockchain company. All of those things are happening. The losers are knowing they're losing. That's what's going to happen. I don't understand why my applicant flow and all my ratios suck. What's going on? And then the C-suite is going, I don't understand. And you know what HR is going to say? I couldn't get data privacy and data security in our infrastructure group to approve me open up our ecosystem. So I wasn't able to introduce all this amazing tech because you're too concerned about breaches and security. And you you didn't hear the message that I wasn't able to connect to the talent when it mattered. And I couldn't get the funding that I needed to be able to change how we did business. And as a result, I gradually, my system died. And now I've got a big problem. And what do we do? And, and I, I fear that in some industries that are really locking down their infrastructure, for instance, say big manufacturing companies that are running their ATS on the same system that they build their cars on, the, the same underlying, right? Mm-hmm. Locking that crap down, right? Yeah. Those guys won't realize until it's too late. Financial industries, potentially. So, so you got to, you know, it could be... A, you know, the, there was that saying about, you know, the war for talent, you know, oh, talent won. Mm-hmm. Woo. This is more like the war for attention. I, I don't want to wait until I, I, I'm showing you three or four or five years of trends of failure before I say, well, ultimately, the issue was something that we were aware of 10 years ago. And we just weren't quite able to articulate JavaScript and pixels and cookies and APIs and how they all interfeed. And, and I didn't have the 
people on my team to be able to explain that this isn't really a risk. So that's what I'm seeing. I think it's an interesting time in our industry. And that was my disruption story. Yeah. Cats and dogs living together. So you see a system collapse. That's what it sounds like. For, for things to change inside an organization, a system is going to have to collapse for for the C-suite to actually take notice. I hope not. I think, you know, so those of you who are listening, in talent acquisition or in procurement, if you're managing contingent labor programs, how closely aligned are you to the individuals in your data security, data privacy, and IT infrastructure? Can you sit in the room with them and have a conversation about the core vendors you need and what the APIs are required and what an XML feed might be and how this would all integrate? Can you have that conversation? If you can't, that's the challenge because some of your some of the clients I'm talking to, man, they get it big time. And it's really kind of cool. And there are answers. Yeah. From my perspective, this this seems ripe for the gig economy. Am I wrong here? Like, it sounds like the the world that you see sort of unfolding is uh, companies suck. I'm going to get on this platform for work. I'm going to work when I want to work, who for whom I want to work, uh, get paid what I'm worth. And that's that's the future. Like, are people even going to work full time for companies? I have to believe that's always going to be the case. I mean, you know, there's always going to be a freelance element to the marketplace. It just makes that's just classic economic theory. It makes sense to have flexibility and scalability and, and specialization and whatnot. But, you know, at the same time, companies need stability in their workforce. And OK, so let's take let's take a thousand Gen Z's. OK, let's let's fast forward 10 years. How many of them are sort of giggers? How many of them are full time employees? Well, a day, I mean, I, you probably read the same stuff I do. You know, if you believe it, there's saying, what, 40% today is gig? I don't read as much on that trend. So that may be an older statistic, but it's it's probably going to go up. Yeah. And you've also got the side hustle, right? Like you've got my full-time yeah. gig and my side hustle. Joel, the thing that's, that, that, that's relevant here is if I'm a company and I have the ability to go out and recruit talent of any workforce category, be it full-time or gig or statement of work, and my tech can do that. And by the way, this thing we're talking about later, in one country, it's contractors. In another country, it's an employee, identical tech. If, if I have the ability to do that and I can onboard you instantly, the whole concept of gig might start to change. You know, I, just, I don't know. It might be more fluid and less compartmentalized that, I mean, we're all in a gig for gosh sake, especially in America, right? There's no like... Well, working with Chad, I'm in, I'm in hell, but that's a different <laughs> different topic. It's a different kind of gig. And that's fine. Back to the risk versus reward statement. You know, what I'm hearing is hopefully we don't get to a system collapse. Although talent acquisition and HR really hasn't, they, they haven't been able to articulate a business reasoning on how it will impact the organization's bottom line at the end of the day. That's pretty, because that's what the C-suite's really caring about. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and just imagine, you don't want to be the CEO who wakes up in the morning and finds out you've had a breach of a half a billion people in your system, right? I mean, that's career limiting type of stuff. It's bad. And so that stuff tends, and the people who are responsible for shutting the breaches down have the rear. Uh -huh. The challenge is we need the rear two to say, yeah, but if you'll give me the investments, the resources, I won't increase risk, yeah. but I will better prepare us for the future. So what's the difference between experience and process? I mean, you know, we're talking about whether it's RPO, RXO, whatever, whatever, whatever acronym we throw together, experience is part of the process. So, so above and beyond the process, what does experience actually bring that's different to this conversation? Wow. Okay. So now you guys are going to really get me into one of my uh, 
philosophicals here, but so, <laughs> so I, I think experience is probably the world's oldest cloud sourcing technology. Because if you think about it, uh, you know, I make a case that technology does not disrupt. Experience disrupts. I don't give a crap what your tool does. It's how it impacts me. So each one of us every day goes through our life experiencing things. And we make in our own individual decisions at that moment of time, a decision about was the time I invested, because it's all fixed for all of us, worth the experience you returned. And what's funny is when you have disruptors, they tend to, they, somehow or other, the hundreds of millions of us who have that experience individually decide this is good and we adopt. And if enough of us have that experience, it disrupts. And so ultimately it's like experience is a feeling. It's an, it's emotive. And so I'm not trying to bring tech. I'm trying to connect with people and each one of those little steps along the way, make them say this time I've invested was worth it. It's commercial time. Sovereign is known for providing the world's best and most accurate parsing products. And now, based on that technology, comes Sovereign's artificial intelligence matching and scoring software. In fractions of a second, receive match results that provide candidates scored by fit to job, and just as importantly, the jobs fit to the candidate. Make faster and better placements. Find out more about our suite of products today by visiting Sovereign.com. That's S-O-V-R-E-N. Com. We provide technology that thinks, communicates, and collaborates like a human. Sovereign. Software so human, you'll want to take it to dinner. It's showtime. Tim, I want to go to I want to go to I want to go back to blockchain for a second. Oh no. Um, <laughs> it, it looks like it looks like your contention is that privacy and the fear of that being stolen or shared uh, without consent is going to be the driver of blockchain. Am I hearing that correctly? Um, well, no, I think that the, so I think what you're going to see is the portability of our private information that right now mm -hmm. RPII is housed in all of these different places, you know, like all the different doctors you go to and every one of them got their own little thing. And each one of those companies then owns all the risk of protecting your PII. Mm -hmm. So you're going to, I think if you start to see some companies coming out and saying, well, you know, I can take all of that information and it's part of the service we provide and just give it to us. Then the, the provider doesn't have to own it. The blockchain company owns it. So I get, I get protecting health. I get protecting money. But isn't isn't sort of your professional, you know, CV resume something that people want publicized? Do you think privacy in this space really matters, especially to younger people? The the PII I'm referring to is the stuff that, you know, relates to your banking information, your employment experience, your wages, you know, okay. background track drug schemes, all the stuff. I'm very focused on what is the uh, onboarding experience for that person who I took X number of hours or days or weeks to find, how long mm -hmm. does it take you to bring them through all those hurdles of go to the background truck company, now go to the drug screen, and I need three references, and I need to know what your work history was and what your salary was? Well, if I have all of that in some system with probably a lot of other stuff that you can't see, then it's going to make that experience a lot quicker. And the companies that I'm seeing- Portability of that data. Yeah. And the companies that I'm hearing about, it's interesting. What they're doing is they're trying to approach the world's largest employers. And basically, if you could get the 100 biggest employers in the world to do this and 
some of their models are, do give me your data for free, then you could drive adoption that way. That could be something really interesting. So an example could be like, hey, I've already passed a background check or here's my background check in the blockchain. I don't have to go through that process. That's right. And it's, it, it gets me hired more quickly. Yeah. And, and so, if, One example. you know, and, and I can tell you, like in the staffing industry, the, you know, it, if somebody's a temp working for staffing company A and they go through the identical process and then four months later, they're working for another agency, that second agency is just covering a cost that they don't need to if they just had access to the information from the first agency and then it could flip the next time. So, it really is kind of on a grand scale if you can drive the adoption across large employers, then you all start benefiting from the shareability of that information. Validation in a ledger system. I'm going to get away from blockchain. Uh, (laughs) So back to experience real quick. And I know blockchain is a part of this experience because again, if you have a validated profile and or background in a ledger system, then everything just squeaks through because you have all the, the, the checks, the boxes checked. But when you start talking about experience and, and providing an exceptional experience, that means different things to different people. Some companies believe they have an exceptional experience right now, which is a 20 minute application on their website. How, how do you how do you define exceptional experience and how do you guys currently get people to that experience today? Because talking about it's one thing, visionary bullshit is all something entirely <laughs> different. But the, the actual feet on the ground, the, the, the execution of that means something. What is that? What does that mean? Yeah. So, well, first, although we're all in the recruitment industry, talent acquisition industry, I would suggest that the experience would not be, should not be the same for all of the people and all of the companies that have a hiring need. But ultimately, it's measured by the value of the person who goes through it. So can we create an experience like our recruiterless RXO that delivers the value to that candidate for the work they're going to do? And maybe that's not the right model for a different kind of hiring environment that isn't 20,000 hires in five weeks and you're, you know, you're going to, and your job is going to last three months or something. If I'm going to hire uh, high-end automotive design engineers, mm-hmm. maybe I need a different kind of experience for that candidate. So it may be a little slower. I might put a human in the middle to create the human touch and then drive automation around that human so that my recruiter who is building the relationship with the hiring manager and with the candidate is completely engaged with them and having discussions. It's very human feeling. The candidate will be like, this is great. I mean, I'm getting text messages from my recruiter giving me status updates. It was so easy to do the interview. Oh, my God, my mom got sick. I had to reschedule. I just got in there and logged in and was able to reschedule the interview with the hiring manager. And they sent a note saying no problem. And hey, later on, just before they're going to offer me a job, they sent me this awesome video that told me all about the benefits of the company. And I didn't realize that it's not just salary. This company's amazing. I get a you know, this and this and this beyond. I didn't realize that. So, so it's a two-way interface, three-way actually, if you think about the hiring manager in the equation and, and, and you want to drive it, I think, based upon, you know, supply demand of talent maybe is a big factor and maybe hiring volume is a key driver for how you modify the experience. You got to do some trade-offs too. I mean, everybody liked to have maybe a super high touch experience, but for some types of roles, you got to streamline them pretty high. We'll dig deeper into that, uh, especially when it comes to experience, because there's consistency, there's scalability, there are all those different pieces. And technology is supposed to 
to be making things so much easier for us. But if you have to customize every stack, yeah. if you have to customize every interaction, then none of that shit's scalable. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is exactly what you're thinking, but uh, you know, one of the points I make in my disruption story is about the rise of talent acquisition as a service. And that uh-huh. it, it is infinitely impossible to build customized experiences for every possible company and the integrations yeah. and all that crap. So I think where you're going to start to see is companies come into the marketplace with saying, here's my stack. And you can, as an outsourcer, I'll use this to deliver the experience to you. Or if you just want to lease it, and you do it yourself, yeah, that might work too. So here's the question. You guys are RPO. You guys are all about efficiencies. You're all about ensuring that, because I mean, this is a business. That's the difference between talent acquisition. It's their job, but for RPO, for staffing, mainly, especially for RPO, it's a business. So you have to focus on efficiencies. That's the thing. Are you working with the current stacks or are you building a stack and saying, okay, this is what we're coming in with. This is what we're offering from an RXO slash RPO standpoint, is that going to be a standardized model that you see happening yeah. for the entire industry? Yeah. Well, it certainly will start at the vendor level. I mean, obviously, we're not collaborating between companies. But yeah, I think you're going to start to see these. I can tell you that the recruiterless RXO solution is, yeah. it'll be a product. And uh, we've got another one that's in the queue that will be a product. And so we will give our clients the option of, sure, we can come in and consult or outsource what you have. That's a painful process sometimes, but necessary given certain constraints. Or in other cases, here you go. This is an, this is world-class. Outside your ecosystem, remove the data privacy security concerns. We manage it all. For a lot of people, including me, RxO is a fairly new thing. Yes. Can you define it for me? And are we ready for a, a, a world of recruiterlessness? <laughs> I guess that's not a word, but I just made one up. Yeah. Nice. So uh, recruitment experience outsourcing coined by our uh, SVP of marketing, Johnny Stoko. And uh, I think what we're trying to say is it's not just process. I mean, I've been an RPO for over 10 years now, and it was always your mess for less. <laughs> <laughs> right? And yes. Yes. And, and ultimately what you find out is the the whole pro- it, it was more than just the visio of how this thing was supposed to flow that was the problem. And so what we have to focus on is who is interacting with this process. And how can we optimize it so their experience, if we ever really do define it, is better? And so I think we're putting our focus on, yeah, I understand you want me to go out and find people and take it all the way through onboarding. That's the process. And you've given me my Visio. Now let me show you how I can bring in tools that will change the experience, maybe make it faster or friendlier or more engaging for the candidates so I can drive better metrics and ratios. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. There's ultimately a business case here for all of this. This is not just throw, you know, throw a new coat of paint on an old process. When you do it right, you're actually driving some very fundamental structural ways of how you're recruiting talent in the marketplace. Very different. And is part of that the marketing side of it as well? Or is it just, you know, the hiring process and the interviewing and, you know, going through applying? Like, what exactly does all that encompass? So, stepping into the recruiterless world. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think we'll ever be a recruiterless world. <laughs> you know, my, my passion is around making the recruiting experience as a recruiter in that industry. And I, I was born on a desk. 
delightful. And the things that I hated were, you know, unanswered phone calls, people not returning me back, no show interviews, um, uh, no feedback from the hiring manager, uh, filling out forms, completing documents. And, you know, the things I loved was meeting somebody who I felt passionate about, like, oh my gosh, I would just love to see you go to work at this client of mine. And then almost doing the mini marriage. It was so satisfying. I mean, I would go home at night and, you know, my kids didn't say I was a recruiter. They would say, my daddy helps people find jobs. But it mattered. I mean, it was important work. And I think sometimes we've lost sight of the fact that, you know, we're trying to put people to work. And so the recruiter list piece, you know, I think what we've delivered, designed is a better experience. Guys, I know it's not perfect. I'm, we've already got a roadmap for amazing things going into next year, but we've designed a model that really the recruiters that are supporting this, they're actually coordinators, love it because they're basically optimizing the program, making sure they're completely engaged in making sure candidates are moving through the process behind the scenes. No holdups, mm-hmm. follow-ups, text messaging, all that kind of stuff. Right. Here's the hardest piece. And I think the hardest part of the question is adoption. How do you get an old stodgy crew who really hasn't really given a shit about experience for 20 years to adopt? How do you get them to adopt what you're selling right now? Because it is necessary. I agree. It does impact the bottom line. CEOs will care. But again, we haven't articulated that on the talent acquisition side of the house. How are you going to be able to, to, to drive adoption? Well, first, I will say the thing that has been amazing since we launched that program, and we still haven't even told your audience about it, but since we launched the program September 16, the number of inquiries coming from across the world to our sales resources is phenomenal. And I've actually had to spend some time saying, look, this is not the right solution for everything. I know it sounds amazing, but it's you know because everybody wants to hire somebody yesterday. And when we talk about the cycle times, they're like, oh, I want that. Well, come on, guys. This is, you know, the use case is very specific. So, so I actually do think if you build something that catches the marketplace's attention and communicate it, you can kind of create use cases. And I'm probably lifting the boats of some of my competitors who are probably getting phone calls going, hey, can you do that? So, you know, I think if we all can just take some risk and, you know, I will say, you know, the, the great thing about working for this huge mega $26 billion company, and I'm inside one of their brands in Pontoon, we've got a CEO, a lady named Corinne Van Rapershe, who is a disrupt. And when we ultimately sat down with that client and said, this is what we want to design, there were risks. A lot of this stuff was all theory. Mm-hmm. And she just said, we're going to do this. I'll take the risk. We need to be the first. We're going to go. And it wasn't like just guess, but ultimately you got to have leadership in our industry and our companies willing to take the risk. I'm going to let you out on this, uh, Tim. Uh, one of the things you said early on um, intrigued me in that the the, the example of the, um, the Ute who had a million followers <laughs> and basically dissing you to that universe of, of a million followers. And you talk about in your presentation about youth culture influences. So we're talking, you know, from TikTok, which Chad and I love to talk about, <laughs> to Instagram, Snapchat, um, et cetera. And it, it kind of struck me that we currently don't have any, any sort of um, uh, ranking for commentary about companies, right? So, so Glassdoor, for example, every comment is created equal. Like you don't know who's leaving it or how credible any of that is. Take me into a world where that matters. What does that look like? Um, does blockchain somehow give us more credibility in our in what we say about things in the world of the future? I'm not smart enough to know if there's like that 360 loop that'll ever be out there. Wouldn't it be great if like there was a Yelp for that we all trusted and was real? I mean, I know we say it's Glassdoor, but we know their business model too, right? So their job board. Like remember the site Clout that took all 
your social stuff yeah. and your followers and who they were. And that obviously didn't work out, but it seems like that would be a, an interesting take on employment. So, so my reaction is this. It's always one or two incidences that disrupt. And, you know, it's like the first company that had the big data breach, the first company that had, you know, funds stolen and everybody becomes aware. And it's going to be that first company that, you know, has something really bad happen because their talent acquisition process isn't adapted and a group of people actually start retweeting and then there's attention to it. And uh, so, so I don't think it's going to take like some fancy app or a benchmarking system. I think what's going to get people's attention is horrible press. <laughs> so what are you guys, what are you guys building at Pontoon? So you, we, you've we've kind of teased about this. What are you guys building? We know why, because we just spent half an hour talking about it. Yeah. So, so, well, the first thing we brought out was our recruiterless uh, RxO solution. So what that is, is that's uh, a, a program supporting a high tech client hiring in two countries uh, in Europe, UK and Germany, two languages, awful lot of hires in an extremely short period of time. Stack consisted of an average backbone with a hiring manager portal and CRM. We built a career site using uh, TalentBrew technology, multilingual. multilingual. Uh, we put job video on it. So most of the jobs that are going out or many of the jobs that are going out have a video embedded in them to drive SEO and improve conversion. Uh, we're using one of the big programmatic vendors to distribute the jobs. And this is really important because you're talking about hundreds of cities with small hiring volumes. And so you, you, you have to have this machine learning logic that will know exactly where to promote your job and how much to spend. And in fact, it's so outperformed that at one point we turned it off, which are like stop spend. We, we can't catch up keep up with the, the applicant flow. Uh, we had a bot apply. A bot has its own logic in it. So it's doing the, the logic to say they meet the qualifications or not, integrated into a digital interview. So candidates uh, complete their interview. And yes, contrary to all the grief I got, it does work in Germany. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and the funny thing is, you know, this kind of role, a lot of Europeans, not Germans, Eastern Europeans, but Europeans in Germany do this work. Not a problem. We've had some funny ones where we do look at them and go, what is this dude thinking? But for the most part, it works great. Awesome conversion rates. It goes back into Avatar where the hiring managers can make their decisions and all driven by uh, Power BI analytics. So like real time, literally real time data on all of the metrics. And what's cool about it is there are no recruiters. There are coordinators and a program leader. But what they're doing is they're living inside the primarily in the programmatic and then in our BI to look at the ratios. And we know how many clicks does it take to get a view, how many views to get a visit, how many visits to get an apply, how many applies to get an interview, interview to spend. Every one of those ratios was benchmarked out in advance. We knew what we needed for the model to make the math work for us and the client. And that's performing, actually outperforming. So, you know, it's got tweaks. I mean, I still got glitchy stuff coming up all the time, but, but uh, we've already started the roadmap out some, you know, maybe two more countries potentially coming into scope. So we've got that one. Uh, that was the use case for kind of high volume, high hiring, good, good supply of talent. All right, I'm boring you. Sorry, guys. And then the next one, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Cricket's fine. The next one is is the opposite. So we're working right now on something I affectionately call HANA. That, that's just the internal name, but it is a recruiter-centric model where we'll fully enable that recruiter to do their job while providing all the automation around them so that they can do it in an excellent sort of way. And that's the primary focus right now. Tim, thanks for joining us today. For those who want to know more about you and or Pontoon, where would they go? Oh, you can find me, Tim Meehan, on LinkedIn, or you can go to pontoonsolutions.com. We out. We out. We out.
Hi, I'm Emma. Thanks for listening to my dad, the Chad, and his buddy Cheese. This has been the Chad and Cheese podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Be sure to check out our sponsors because their money goes to my college fund. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.